0: Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org restore for tickets, and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. Today we're going to go back and share one of our favorite sessions from the Restore Conference in October. In this session, Adam Miller retells the parable of the prodigal son and a highlight from the children's book series Frog and Toad to help us re-examine our relationship to love. Adam teaches that love can't be earned. It's not a reward. There's no commandment given ever to be perfectly lovable because we're already and always loved completely by God. And so if we can escape our stories about love being a reward, then we can focus instead on love, the verb. It's hard work, Adam says, but of an entirely different kind. We trade our guilt and our shame about not measuring up and our judgment about what others earn for abundance, where God's unconditional love is magnified and flows freely through us. We so appreciate Adam for his wisdom and also for the way he presents. This session felt like a meditation that allows you to see the worries that you carry about being unworthy of love and release them. We really hope that this session is meaningful for you, and with that, we'll jump right in.
1: Hi. I want to, uh, I want to read you two stories this morning. The first is a story by Arnold Lobel. The second is a story by Jesus. Uh, But both of these stories are really about me. The first story is called The Garden, from Arnold Lobel's classic collection of stories, Frog and Toad Together. Frog was in his garden. Toad came walking by. What a fine garden you have, said Frog. Yes, it's very nice, but it was very hard work. I wish I had a garden, said Toad. Here are some flower seeds. Plant them in the ground, said Frog, and soon you will have a garden. How soon, said Toad. Quite soon, said Frog. Toad ran home. He planted the flower seeds. Now seeds, said Toad, start growing. Toad walked up and down a few times. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head close to the ground and said loudly, Now seeds start growing. Toad looked at the ground again. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head very close to the ground and shouted, Now seeds start growing. Frog came running up the path. What is all this noise, he asked. My seeds will not grow, said Toad. You are shouting too much, said Frog. These poor seeds are afraid to grow. (laughs) My seeds are afraid to grow, asked Toad. Of course, said Frog, leave them alone for a few days. Let the sun shine on them, let the rain fall on them. Soon your seeds will start to grow. That night, Toad looked out his window. Drat, said Toad, my seeds have not started to grow. They must be afraid of the dark. Toad went out to his garden with some candles. I will read the seeds a story, said Toad. Then they will not be afraid. Toad read a long story to his seeds. All the next day, Toad sang songs to his seeds. And all the next day, Toad read poems to his seeds. And all the next day, Toad played music for his seeds. Toad looked at the ground. The seeds still did not grow. What shall I do, cried Toad? These must be the most frightened seeds in the whole world. Then Toad felt very tired, and he fell asleep. Toad, Toad, wake up, said Frog look at your garden. Toad looked at his garden. Little green plants were coming up out of the ground. At last, shouted Toad, my seeds have stopped being afraid and started to grow. Now you will have a nice garden too, said Frog. Yes, said Toad. But you were right, Frog. It was very hard work. I'm I'm like toad, I want good things, but I don't actually know how gardens grow. Ignorant about the true nature of things, I tell myself stories. Instead, I make up ridiculous stories about why nothing will grow. And these stories, of course, aren't actually about the garden, they're really about me. Everything is about me. And so buying my own ridiculous stories I've dedicated my life to doing impossible and useless things. I've dedicated my life to doing very hard work that is, on its own terms, utterly beside the point. And truth be told, I suspect I'm especially like Toad, that is, adorably earnest and decidedly (laughs) dim-witted when it comes to religion. I have recently come to what feels like a long time coming, but now obvious and unavoidable conclusion. After nearly 50 years of shouting at my seeds to grow, I have concluded that shouting may not work. After nearly 50 years of trying to earn God's love, of trying to prove that I deserve that reward, I've reached the blunt and sobering conclusion that God never asked me to do this. To understand how I'm like Toad, you must see just this. I've spent the better part of my life trying and failing to obey a commandment that God never gave. Like Toad, I've had the whole thing backwards. I've had life upside down. I've been looking through the wrong end. There is no commandment in any scripture delivered from any pulpit by any prophet in any age to make myself into someone that God could finally love. There is no commandment to make myself perfectly lovable. It is impossible to keep this commandment, this imaginary commandment to be perfectly lovable, because God never gave it. And for this same reason, it's impossible to break this commandment. It's impossible to break a commandment that God never gave. There is instead, as Steve Young reminds us, always and only the single, eternal, unconditional commandment to do love's work. To love God with all my heart and then to join God in the hard work of loving others. My problem is that I have, all along, been telling myself a ridiculous story about how love is a reward when in truth love is a law. Love cannot be deserved. Love is always a commandment to be obeyed, full stop, and never a reward to be earned. Love is a verb, not a noun. Love is a work I must join, not a reward I can get, Love requires my participation, not my perfection. This is the secret, hidden from the foundation of the world. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has tried again and again to tell us this. I will open my mouth in parables, he said. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So... Consider this parable, maybe the most famous parable of all, with its own stubborn secret hidden in plain sight. A certain man had two sons, Jesus tells us, and the younger, acting as if his father were already dead, asks for his share of the inheritance. He receives it, he wastes it, he starves. Woken by his hunger, Jesus continues, this son then came to himself. I will arise and go to my father, the son thinks, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Right. I am this younger son. This is me. This is how Toad and I think. Rather than treating love as a law, the younger son treats love as a reward that he has failed to earn. He treats love as something he could, with very hard work, deserve. He treats God's law as a measure for whether he deserves to be loved. This son thinks love is about being loved and earning love, not about loving others. He thinks his seeds didn't grow because he didn't shout at the ground long enough or hard enough. And so he thinks he doesn't deserve to be loved. No outcome could be more predictable and inevitable than this. Treating love as a reward, I will always find that I have failed to deserve it. And having failed to deserve it, I will be filled with guilt and shame. But why have I failed? Because I'm not good enough, or strong enough, or perfect enough to be loved? Or because I was wrong about what love even is? See this. Guilt and shame are the inescapable shadows cast by every backwards and disobedient attempt to earn love and deserve to be loved. In this way, guilt and shame are telling symptoms. They're powerful signs that something is wrong, that something in me is painfully out of joint. The trouble is that ignorant as I am, I constantly misread these signs in light of my own ridiculous stories. I constantly misinterpret these symptoms as signs that God does not love me because I don't deserve to be loved. This, though, is not... What guilt and shame mean. What these powerful signs actually mean is that I've been doing the wrong thing. That I've misunderstood what love even is. If we compare God's law of love to a spyglass or a telescope, we might describe my mistake like this. As a sinner, I've got the right instrument, but I've spent my whole life looking through the wrong end. I've got God's law, sure but I'm using it backwards. This law was meant to magnify love, to call me to love, to show me how the world is already saturated with God's love. But by misusing God's law, by looking through the wrong end of the telescope, I have produced the exact opposite effect. I've made God's love seem incredibly small and impossibly far away. As a prize, Love will always look impossibly small and incredibly far away. But as a law I must obey, as a work I must join, love is always magnified and always at hand. In Jesus' parable, however, the disobedient son isn't the only one trapped inside this ridiculous story about love being a reward. In fact, the whole point of Jesus' parable may be that the obedient son doesn't see it either. Both sons think that love is a conditional reward. Both sons think love can be deserved. They've just reached different conclusions about whether they deserve it. The father greets the younger son's return with an outpouring of love. But when the elder son sees this, he doesn't join his father in obeying love. Rather, tellingly, he gets angry. When the father comes out and asks him to join the celebration, the elder son bitterly replies, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. This elder son just like his younger brother, has got God's law backwards. The elder son thinks love is a reward, and he thinks he's earned it. If, like the younger son, you try to earn love and then feel like you've failed, you will be filled with shame and hopelessness. But if, like the elder son, you try to earn love and imagine you've succeeded, you still won't find love. Instead, you will predictably, inescapably, be filled with anger, bitterness, and judgment. This anger will estrange you from love and strand you on an island of vanity and indignation. The younger son finds himself unworthy of love and so hates himself. The elder son finds himself worthy of love and so hates his brother. Hate rushes to fill every vacuum created when God's law is used to decide that some people, perhaps other people, perhaps myself, haven't earned the reward of love. I am this elder son. This is me. This is how Toad and I think. It's impossible, though, to use God's law as a weapon for excluding others from love without also harming yourself. Whenever I treat love as a conditional reward, I inevitably turn Jesus' commandment to be ye therefore perfect on its head. This commandment to be perfect does not describe what I must become to finally earn God's love. Rather, perfect describes the kind of divine love that God already has for me, and then the kind of love that I must obey. This is the difference between perfection and perfectionism. Perfectionism is love upside down and backwards. Perfectionism is the desire to be perfectly lovable, not the desire to love perfectly. And unlike God's perfect love, perfectionisms of all kinds are predictably harsh, and angry and unloving. Perfectionism is a bitter and frustrating project. Perfectionism withholds love and disobeys the command to love. In this way, perfectionism is a crippling form of disobedience and an arrogant dismissal of God's law. Perfectionism is a sour form of moral relativism, that undercuts God's law by rendering love relative to some imagined scale of merits. God is perfect. God is not a perfectionist. In this parable, the father is the only one who thinks like God. The father is the only one who knows how gardens actually grow. He's the only one who knows what love even is. Obedient to God's law, the father isn't guilty or angry. He loves both his sons. When his younger son returns full of guilt and shame, the father doesn't hesitate to love him. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Humbled, the son protests, Father, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father, though, ignores this ridiculous story and says to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. The father knows both what God's law says and what God's law is for. He knows how to love. The Father, in other words, knows how to render righteous judgment. In Matthew 7, Jesus famously commands, Judge not that ye be not judged. But the Joseph Smith translation amends the verse as follows, Judge not unrighteously that ye be not judged, but judge righteous judgment. There are then two forms of judgment, unrighteous judgment and righteous judgment. What divides the one from the other? These forms of judgment are, I think, cleanly divided by whether we're treating love as a law or as a reward. If we think love is a special reward reserved only for those who have earned it, then we'll use God's law to judge what people deserve. We'll use God's law to divide the world up into those who deserve to be loved and those who don't will use judgment as a weapon. This is unrighteous judgment. Righteous judgment, though, does just the opposite. Rather than judging others in a way that prevents me from loving them, righteous judgment treats love as a law that commands me to love them, even if, especially if, they are my enemies and do not deserve it. Unrighteous judgments ask, who? Who deserves to be loved? Righteous judgments ask, how? How must I love? Unrighteous judgments treat love as a rare reward, while righteous judgments treat love as a moral law. When I practice unrighteous judgment, I condemn not only others, I condemn myself to expecting and receiving this same kind of judgment. For with what judgment ye judge... Ye shall be judged, Jesus says. Having misunderstood what love even is, I condemn myself to living as someone cut off from love. But when I obey love's law, when I stop judging who deserves to be loved and exclusively use God's law to judge how to love, then I have found it. In other words, obedient to love, I live like the Father. I judge like the father. I obey God's law like the father. When the elder son angrily demands to know why his obedience hasn't earned him more love than his younger brother, the father doesn't get angry, but he also does not endorse the elder son's treatment of love as a reward that he's earned. Rather, the father simply promises all his love again and repeats the same thing he told the prodigal when he embraced him and welcomed him home. It was meet that we should make merry. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. This love, this compassion, the Father says, was meet. That is, it was required. It was necessary. It was commanded by God's own law. And this divine love never asks if you deserve to be loved. This divine law only asks if you are dead or alive, lost or found. It only asks how best to love you. This is the truth about how gardens grow. And this while it is still very hard work, is work of an entirely different kind.
0: All right, thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this Restore session with Adam Miller. If you are interested in seeing the other Restore sessions, you can go to our YouTube channel where they're all posted for free. And if Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you listen on. We read all of the reviews and it really helps us to get the word out about Faith Matters and we appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening and remember you can check out more at faithmatters.org.